Welcome to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. In our final week of Advent, we journey with Mary as she ponders carrying the Messiah that will bring love to the world. We will discover the love that God gives is revolutionary, not just for us, but also for us to offer to others. Our daughter will be two in January, which is very difficult to comprehend already. And uh, we, we've come to the realization that she's already two, actually. <laughs> uh, she is quickly becoming a full-fledged toddler. We had a meltdown that we had never had before in this past week. Oh, yeah, it was... We were just like, wow, this is different. When our daughter gets frustrated or unhappy... She is still in that place where she's unable to express it with words. And so really the only way for her to express anger, sadness, pain, all the negatives, right? It's through crying. She cries. And we've seen tears flow when a toy needs to be put up. And, you know, we, we give her plenty of warning. Oh, it's still rough. Or there's moments where she cries when she... Hits her head on something, right? Because, you know, toddlers are also very clumsy and we miss that one step. Or it's sometimes I just want to be with you. Or you're making me do something I don't want to do. How dare you put me in the high chair and give me sustenance for life? <laughs> but what's really interesting is that she still, as, as a child in that phase where no matter what, whether it's she did something wrong or she did something by accident or whatever is causing this, right? She comes to you looking for a hug. Now, I don't know if it's, I don't know if she's hit the point of, if I give them a hug, maybe I'll get what I want. I don't know if she's there yet. But (laughs) either case, when the tears are flowing, she's looking for comfort. She's looking for an affirmation that we still love her. And as parents, this is the time that you you really sort of love because we understand that as she gets older, when they become teenagers and they get mad at you, they just shut their uh, bedroom door and you don't see them for a few hours. (laughs) In the midst of pain sadness, anger, whatever it is. Mom, Dad, please hug me. And we are in that space where we will oblige that hug every time. She's not going to get what she wants. No, she's not going to get the tablet after she gets a hug, but we're here for her. We're here for her to process these emotions. We're here to draw near when everything is falling apart for her. This is the God of Scripture. If you go throughout all of Scripture, from Old Testament to New, you will find God, like a parent, drawing near to His people in difficult times. Even if they brought those difficult times upon themselves, He is there. There's a reason why God is labeled a father, a parent. He loves his people, and he loves this world. 
This is really what Christmas is all about. But we don't want to jump the gun. We're still in Advent, are we not? And so today, we will journey alongside those who help bring Jesus into the world. Jesus is the source of love. God with us. God drawing near to us and showing us what love is. So what we will do today is, as we prepare for that celebration in this next week, we journey alongside Jesus' mom. We will be in Luke chapter 1. And I'm going to paraphrase a good portion of it, but we will be reading starting with verse 46. We'll get to it in a second. But if you want to get your Bibles out, your apps out, and get ready, Luke 1, 46, that's what we will read today. But let me catch you up before we read today's passage. Luke opens up not with Jesus' mom, but rather with John the Baptist's dad. His name's Zechariah. And what's really interesting is that Zechariah is a religious leader. He works within the temple. And all of a sudden, an angel comes to him and says, Hey, guess what? Your wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a kid, a son. You're going to name him John. It's going to be a little weird. You're still going to love him, though. Don't all parents love their weird kids? Thank the Lord for my parents. Uh... And Zechariah legitimately can't believe it. He can't believe it. You would expect a guy who is a religious leader who works in the temple to just say, okay, God, yeah, let's do this. But he doubts in the moment. He does the worst thing in the world. He goes, my wife, Elizabeth, she's so old. This is where we get the proper way of never asking a woman's age, everyone. Just joking. Just joking. In this moment, Zechariah is actually silenced. He is, he is un, unable to speak until John comes into the world. To which all the women who read this passage say, man, I wish my pregnancy was like that. Guys, just so you know, if you're looking for examples of how to be a man... When your wife is pregnant, look to Zechariah. It's amazing. If you don't say, open your mouth, how much happier your wife will be. <laughs> These are all jokes, of course. But in reality, we move forward and then we come to Mary. Mary who is young. Mary who is pledged to be married, but not married. She's a virgin. And the angel comes to her and says, hey, guess what? You are going to carry the very Messiah of the world. But I'm a, I'm a virgin, but okay. Literally, her words are, I believe, is, let it be so. I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me just as you have said. Now, for her to say yes to God, to carrying the Messiah of the world... There's a lot to this. First of all, because she is not married and she is found out to be pregnant, she, it will be assumed that she did not remain faithful to Joseph. The law at that time literally would kill her 
she could be killed in this manner because she was pregnant before being fully married to Joseph. So we need to understand that as she says, let it be with me as you said, she is she's saying yes to a very costly reality, a lot of uncertainty. I mean, if you've ever had a kid before, your world is rocked. Like, your world gets, the moment that you find out that you're going to have a kid, you're like, whoa, everything's going to change. For her, it's, yeah, you're going to have a kid, you're not married, and oh, it's the Son of God who is going to accomplish His great will in this world. Talk about a mind job, y'all. Think of the uncertainty and the feelings that you would have in this moment. Her cooperation is costly and the possible ramifications could literally end her life. And so in the midst of this, she goes to her cousin, who is Elizabeth. Someone in the family who she looks up to, to look for help or whatever it might be. And when Mary enters into the fold, Elizabeth's baby, John, literally jumps in her womb. And Elizabeth is like, oh, you are carrying my Lord. And can you imagine sort of the, I can breathe a little bit because somebody else knows what's going on. Mary must have felt a little bit of relief hearing Elizabeth say these things, getting this sort of confirmation and affirmation, not just, did I really dream, did I really get visited by an angel, or is that just a dream, right? And in the midst of this, Elizabeth speaks. Blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill the promises he made to her. To this, Mary replies with a song. This is the song that she sings. Again, Luke 1, beginning with verse 46. Mary said... With all my heart, I glorify the Lord. In the depths of who I am, I rejoice in God, my Savior. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back. Let's go ahead and go back. I wasn't ready to sing with that music, quite frankly. 46, here we go again. Mary said, with all of my heart, I glorify the Lord. In the depths of who I am, I rejoice in God, my Savior. He has looked with favor on the low status of his servant. Look, from now on, everyone will consider me highly favored because the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He shows mercy to everyone from one generation to the next who honors him as God. And he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. He has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. He has come to the aid of his servant Israel, remembering his mercy, just as he promised to our ancestors, to Abraham and to Abraham's descendants forever. Amen. This is formally known as the Magnificat. 
And what an amazing, joyful, worshipful, prophetic response. To have the uneasiness of carrying the very Messiah and all of the ramifications of that and to say this, to sing this, shows you where Mary is with God. She trusts God. She loves God. Because let's really be honest, a loving response is a joyful response. Think about it in your own life for a second. The people who you love, when something good and right happens, what do you experience with them? You're happy for them. You are joyful. You don't, you don't get like, well, what about me? No, you're just, true love evokes a joyful response when something right is happening. Rejoicing is an act of love. But I think something that each of us really should understand here is the contrast between Mary and Zechariah. See, to this point, people looked up to in Scripture, people who brought the message of God really had been men. And they had been religious leaders. And Zechariah, the one who we expect to bring forth a prophetic word, is not the one speaking here. God is bringing a message through a young peasant woman who's not a religious leader. God is doing something in this moment by silencing Zechariah and allowing Elizabeth and Mary to speak the joyful things that God is doing in the world. Mary is not a person who has power. She has no wealth herself. She lives in a world that is ruled by men. And you cannot live without men in this day. It is without power and prestige and wealth and even pride, does she, she's the one who speaks the prophetic word of God into the world about her son. God is bringing something truly different from how the world is operating at this time. And we need to take that into consideration for our own lives. Maybe the way that the world works is not the way that God works. Now, if you think that Mary is speaking out of turn, you need to recognize that much of her verses and stanzas are all words that are found within the Old Testament, all found within the Hebrew Scripture. She is saying nothing new here. I think sometimes we forget that God has continuously throughout history with His people, throughout human history, has been on the side of those who are marginalized. Upon slaves who were enslaved by Egypt. Upon His people 
who are invaded numerous amounts of times upon those who are poor, upon those who are lowly, upon those who are downtrodden, upon those who are sick. God lifts these up and brings those who are powerful and prideful and rich downward. This is the love that God has shown throughout years because what He is showing us is that if love is the way, there's no reason to have rich and poor. There's no reason to have marginalized and popular. These are classifications of sin. These are the things that separate us from each other. And God's love goes to help those who cannot help themselves. Olivia Metcalf says this so eloquently about Mary's song. Mary sings the song of heaven when she declares how power is shaped in the kingdom of God. If we have been so tempted to see, oh, this is how God is going to work. He's going he's to work through this powerful person. He's going to work through this rich person, this influential person. Or maybe I myself need to gain these things so that I can do the work of God. We've sort of missed, well, we have missed the message of God throughout generations and the message of Mary, the mother of our Lord. And we have missed the message of John and we've missed the message of Jesus. Because let's really be honest. Let's, let's be honest. We've been occupied with pride. We've been occupied with power and wealth and influence, haven't we? You want to admit to it? But these are not the ways that God works into the world. He can, but He chooses those who are humble and lowly. And it's confirmed in Jesus' ministry when he shares the kingdom on the mount. Sam Powell says this, this passage reinforces the gospel teaching that the first will be last. And the last will be first. It reminds us that the kingdom of God and the message about that kingdom are not about purely spiritual realities. Friends, the good news can't just be about one part of our lives. It's not good news if that's the case. The good news is good news for your entire life. Mind, body, soul, heart. So when Jesus speaks those words in His ministry, when Mary speaks these words that the powerful will be pulled down and the lowly will be lifted up and the hungry will be filled and the rich will be sent away, these aren't, these aren't metaphors. Because the reality of it is if, if there was a world of love, we wouldn't have these major differences. We wouldn't have the poverty that we have. We would not have the inequality and the inequity in this world. 
Because love is, well, what is love? It's saying, let it be with me just as you have said, as Mary says to God. It's Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them, they do not know what they do even though they are punching holes into his body for him to die. Friends, love, love comes through humility and kindness and service and generosity, through sacrifice. This is what love is. And so the beautiful thing about Christmas, the beautiful thing about Jesus, the beautiful thing about God is that it comes to us through a peasant Jewish virgin who has a son who does not have power, he does not have wealth, he does not have prestige. But you know what he does have? Humility and kindness and service and generosity, the hallmarks of love. All the power of the universe in a person. And he chooses to walk around without a home, serving those who are hungry and those who are sick and those who are left behind by the religious leaders, by the civic leaders, by all the solution makers, by all the rich and by all the wealthy. Those are the same thing. By all the influential, by those who are powerful. You know what I love about Mary? How you know that she really loves God? Because in this song, she's personally so joyful. She's joyful because of what God's doing in her, but she's also joyful because of what God is doing in the world. She is happy that God is going to do these things. She's not like, oh, but what about me? How many of us sometimes do that? What about me? Friends, love, real love is not fair. And it comes at a great cost to us. And it begins by doing something. Love begins through this. Love begins by casting aside any desire of power. That's an amen, y'all. Love begins by casting aside any desire of power. This is hard. We can be stubborn people. It's hard to love whenever you're trying to beat another person out for that job or for that influence. It's hard to love a person when you don't let them go and you try to manipulate them to be who you want them to be. It's hard to love when we say the things 
We say the things that hurt just so that we can feel better ourselves. All of that is a desire of power. To have power over that person. To have power over the community or the world around us. Love begins by casting aside any desire of power. And it's what Mary does. It is what John will do. It is what Jesus will do with their very lives and with their very words. And for those of us who are disciples, literal followers of Jesus, we are called to love as He has loved us. For Jesus says, my followers will be known by their love. And so friends, God has loved you so much that He gave His Son for you to have life for you to be saved from your sins and to have new life that shares that love evermore. It's not just something you keep and say, oh, this is so good. I get to keep it for myself. That is a desire of power when we do that. It's only by giving ourselves away, just like Christ did to others, do we begin to love. So we are presence. We are, we are a presence of healing. We are a presence of God's justice. We are a presence of mercy. We are a presence of His kingdom that has completely flipped the world upside down. That the way, the right way of living is not through aspiring for ourselves of power and wealth and influence, but is rather a, a path of humility, of generosity, of service, of healing, of forgiveness. It's a presence of hope and peace and joy and love. And if you think to yourself, but... What if I'm treated unfairly? Well, just like God's love, just like God's love, you will not be broken. Because the love of God isn't fragile. It's not something that is broken easily. Think about this for a second. If all of the Scripture is about the faithful God never giving up on humanity... <laughs> What kind of love can you and I live ourselves? So as we receive God's love, we offer it to all people. And we recognize that those who need it the most are probably people who are not like us. They are the people who've been left behind by society. They are the poor in spirit. They are the downtrodden. They are the ones who put themselves in the position that they're in, and they need love. They need God's love. 
And we, as his church, are called to offer it. It's not easy. It's not fast. It doesn't come with... uh, Uh, It doesn't come with a contractual agreement or stipulations. I think sometimes we in the church do that. I'll help you if. No, no, no. Just help. Just love. It's not controlling. Love is difficult. It comes at the cost of ourselves. It is slow. But it's also freeing. It's freeing of yourself. It's, a, it's freeing of the other person. I'm reminded of Paul's words to the church in Corinth. Love is patient, kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. Keeps no records of wrongs. Because I didn't quote it from the very beginning, I'm forgetting now the rest of it. <laughs> But you get the drift, right? Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, keeps no record of wrongs. It's not fair. It comes at a cost. It is remaining faithful no matter how many times you see the person that you love turn away from you because that is what God has done with us. This is the love that he brings to us. As I thought of this passage, as I prepared for this coming, for this message, I was reminded of a story that sort of shows this perfectly. It's a timeless novel that has been made into a musical and consequently films as well. I hope that you've seen it. If you've never seen it, just know that you'll cry when you watch it. Les Miserables. It's an unbelievable musical. It's an unbelievable film. But it comes from an unbelievable novel. And if you're not a novel reader of like this thick of a novel, (laughs) watch it. But Les Mis is a story of multiple people that is set during the French Revolution. Why did the French Revolution happen? Well, economic disparity, government tyranny, yada, yada, yada. All the things that we're used to hearing about revolutions. But it's not the revolution that moves us whenever we experience Lamez. It's about the people who are actually victims of everything that's going on around them. And how their acts of love bring about redemption in the midst of a very dark time. The main protagonist is Jean Valjean, which is, I love that name, Jean Valjean. He's an escaped convict who begins to make a life for himself, but he is always looking behind him because he is an escaped convict. And early on, he helps. He helps the little girl who was born of a prostitute. She didn't want to be a prostitute. Again, the, the critique of society 
is fully there in this novel, in this musical. But it's not the only point that it makes. And he takes this little girl and he begins to try to find ways for this girl to survive. And as it goes through the year, the years, her relationships and the terrible things that happened to her and the terrible things that happened to Jean Valjean and the terrible things that happened to all of the characters is contrasted by their willingness to love. Their willingness to do right things in the midst of the chaos of war, in the midst of terrible violence and death, in the midst of all of this. We are moved in Les Mes not because of the French Revolution. We are moved in Les Mes because people bring redemption and love into a violent, chaotic world and their love for each other. And that last scene, which I won't fully go into, you sit there and you bawl because as a person dies, you recognize that you are moved by the love that this person has had and how much of a difference it made in a world that just goes on and on about money and violence and influence and arrogance and pride and all of the things that cause us wrong in this world. And it reminds me that everybody's was expecting Jesus to come and bring forth a revolution. A violent revolution to overthrow Rome and to overthrow all of the powers that be. And everybody was disappointed. When they found out that He wasn't here to do it, they killed Him for it. Because the revolution wasn't and taking up arms against others, it was seeing them as your neighbor and loving them, no matter what they did to you. The revolution was love. It wasn't getting what we want, it wasn't for power, it wasn't for any of that. It was love. Truly giving yourself for the benefit of others. And so, may we receive Jesus like Mary received Jesus. May we be willing to say, let it be with your servant, as you say. May we be people of love. Not hungry for power, for any of our own aspirations, but rather for God's work to move into this world. And to literally topple the powerful. Not through force, but through love. May we be people of love that truly revolutionizes the world around us, just as Mary did, just as Elizabeth did, just as John did, just as Jesus did. Thanks for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you were inspired by this week's message. We'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We are located at 3924 High Street Northwest in Warren, Ohio. You can also join us on Facebook Live. For more information about our ministries, or if you'd like to contribute to our ministries online, visit us at championnaz.org.